Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Welcome back to the Minutes from Latvia podcast. My name is Mike Collier and this is brought to you by Latvian Public Media. Uh, it's two weeks again since the last podcast and I'm starting to feel as if maybe this podcast is cursed because it seems every time I record one of these things the weather is terrible. We get a few nice little intermittent days in between and then hey presto I arrive at the radio uh, house and um, things are terrible. If only we could escape somewhere sunnier. <laughs> well we've got someone in the pod today who may be able to help us do that. Um, he's one of the highest profile businessman in Latvia. He's been here a few years now, I'm sure has a wealth of experience to share with us and uh, news about both the past and the future. His name is Martin Gauss and he's the chief executive and chairman of Air Baltic, the national airline of Latvia. Welcome to the pod, Martin. Yeah, nice to be here. And thank you for, I've always wanted to say this to uh, an airline executive, thank you for making time in your busy schedule for me. <laughs> yeah, and coming back to the weather issues, there would be plenty of opportunities with uh, actually my company, Baltic, to take you somewhere with better weather. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, you've been here since 2011, November 2011, you came and took over at Air Baltic. Not a lot was known about you when you arrived. I wondered if you could just let the listeners know a bit about your background because uh, you are actually qualified as a pilot as well, which seems to give a certain sort of faith in your uh, aviation credentials. Yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. I am a pilot still. I'm still uh, hold my license flying Boeing 737s. I started as a pilot in 1992 with the British Airways subsidiary in Germany, and I was there for 12 years. Uh, ended in in that company as a director, and I was running over the 12 years and trained for all different uh, management roles in an airline. Uh, then the company was sold to a private individual, and that's when I started. Uh, doing turnaround plan because the company wasn't in a good shape. I became a shareholder of that company and uh, together with the other shareholders, we turned the company around, made it profitable and sold it three years later uh, to a company Eberlin, which is well mm -hmm. known. Uh, I, I did a bit of an integration there, then some other stuff. Then I went to a state-owned airline, Malef Hungarian Airlines, also a turnaround job. Uh, I stayed there uh, for two years, two and a half years, and then I was headhunted actually to come to Latvia, uh, and uh, I ended in up in Riga. Um, it was supposed to be for one year. Now I'm here more than, <laughs> more than five years, but the task changed. So I, in the beginning, it was just uh, like an, an an emergency solution to to step into a very difficult position, but then it developed into a more serious, uh, longer term position. And I'm just interested in if you started off as a pilot, I mean, that's uh, was it a case you always wanted to fly? This was something a lot of pilots seem to say that, that they always knew they wanted to fly. No, I, um, I studied business and economics and uh, after school. And then I read an article about uh, the potential uh, income of pilots. And I looked at it and I found <laughs> out that if I would uh, become a pilot, I would have better future perspective of uh, earning a good salary. So I then interested myself for that uh, job. I did all the tests, the training, and I paid for my um, flying school. I took a loan uh, and it worked out because I had to do it uh, pretty quick as I was running out of money uh, to pay for it. And then after the um, school was over and I had my license, I didn't get a job. So I was doing all sorts of work, different jobs to 
until I got a job as a pilot, which was uh, very good because I saw many different uh, fields before. I then had a very good start because I started with a very reputable uh, airline, was British Airways in Germany. Mm. And, and that actually was a uh, big luck in my life to be able as a pilot to start with such a company and then have that very high level education over so many years. Uh, I'm very thankful for it. And I think part of the work to, I can deliver today was thanks to that good education I had there in the parallel to being a pilot. I was trained to be a proper manager. Well, that's fascinating because it's sort of the reverse of what one usually hears in that, you know, you went into becoming a pilot at kind of as a business project. And so I guess that explains why you then didn't find it a wrench to move from flying into management, if that's what was kind of motivating you all along, really. Yeah, but by uh, becoming a pilot, that uh, the, after the first flying hours, I was really keen on, on becoming a pilot. So it, it changed when I was uh, right. on, on uh, in the... In the pilot school and later on as a pilot, I just wanted, uh, of course, a co-pilot wants to become a captain and a captain wants to be a trainer. And so on. And all of that was there as well with me. So mm. it, 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 but it wasn't there before I uh, looked at the, at the job of a pilot. And you say you still have the, the qualification, you're still able to fly. I mean, what, what, how do you maintain that? Presumably there's some sort of statutory things you have to do each year. Or... Yeah, if, if I don't fly the aircraft online with passengers, which I've done here in the beginning, in the first uh, three years, and then I had a, a, a medical issue, so I had to break for a while, and now I keep it in the simulator. But I can actually go and fly our airplanes with passengers. For that, I would have to take some extra training with the aircraft and with the training captain, and, and then I can just do it again. Uh, so, But I have to fulfill all the legal requirements, which I do until today, so I'll keep all the necessary licenses and do all the training uh, to keep the level to be able to fly one of our Boeings. So while you were chief executive, you were actually for a while flying passengers as well. That's uh, all, Always, in all, all the previous that's a, positions. That's a really great cl claim, actually, <laughs> to be able to make. Uh, it, it helps a lot, especially when you come in a dif difficult situation in an airline. It helps a lot to understand the operational part. It doesn't help you on mm. the finance part or on the commercial side, but it helps on the operational side to judge when, when you can do this. But it's not needed. So it's, it's not needed, but it was a help. And you said that you were initially planning on being here for just one year. So what was it that made you decide to stay beyond that length of time? It wasn't me. It was a decision coming from the shareholders where they said we developed a business plan. And then the business plan was accepted to be the plan which would take the airline back into profit. But then the shareholder side said, wouldn't you like to um, not only doing the plan, but also execute the plan? And uh, at the time, I thought that is something I can do and I can deliver. And then we decided to have a, initially a three-year contract, which uh, then would have been enough to, to finish the business plan. But when that came to an end, uh, there was a decision to find an investor and to uh, have a new business plan. So the contract was extended again and again. I mean, the second extension now uh, until the end of eighteen and still having a lot of fun just took the airline to its best ever results so uh, a, a good feeling after these five years and i mean when you arrived air baltic really had a reputation of being uh not the most transparent organization going highly politicized um extremely controversial and you, to coin the old phrase a bit of a 
everyone assumed it was a bit of a basket case. I mean, it must be on one side very satisfying for you to be able to uh, turn it around, but did you did you have to fight hard against well the baggage that it that it already had? I mean, how did you manage to disentangle it from politics and so on? I had done it b- before, in in and so I did the same recipe. I I normally start with a I use a audit or forensic audit. I, I look into the contractual databases. And together with the team, wh- whoever I have, and I, I had also consultants there, we we turn everything around. And if you've done it before, you know what you can and what you cannot do. And if it's the same uh, industry, like airline industry, it's even easier. So um, it, it worked very well from the process. And I had a strong backup from the government because they wanted to fix it. And actually, it's my third government I'm I'm working for, but uh, all of these governments, all of these ministers of transport were highly supportive of the work which was done. And uh, until today, I have no political interference in the process of running this airline. And I think that is one of the key things for a state-owned airline, that it is transparent and the shareholder focuses on the shareholder role and on the long-term strategy while the day-to-day business is done by by the management. And mm-hmm. that is the case here. And it's it's one of the big success factors. And if I mean, quite a complicated task for you to 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 do the horizon horizon twenty twenty one plan. Yes. Uh, could you give it to us in a nutshell? I mean, what were the basic principles that that you enacted? The, the first plan was the airline was uh, quite sizable with thirty five aircraft. Uh, it was quite big at the time, but it was making heavy losses. So the first plan was to shrink the airline to 19 aircraft and uh, a lot of passengers um, less than we had, but to bring it to an operational uh, positive performance. Uh, That was achieved. um, And then there was the need to say, so what do we do from now on? And Horizon 2021 is after the restructuring the first growth plan. We see now, being the second year into this plan, that we were very conservative and we will probably come with something um, more aggressive because we see that it's easy to place that growth of Horizon 2021 and and we'll soon come up with something saying we will even go for a a higher target because it works. So what what we have planned has worked so far and um, I think we will be able to say what we do beyond 2021 and take the airline further. And staffing as well. I mean, there was a bit of controversy at the beginning. You cut some jobs, but it seems that you're now recruiting again. And I mean, Air Baltic does feature quite high in staff satisfaction surveys and things like that. When when I came, I think we had around 1,400 people. Today we have 1,070, something like this. Mm-hmm. And we are recruiting now for the next years as our fleet is growing rapidly with the new aircraft. And this is mainly operational people, so uh, cabin crew, pilots, technicians, mainly that because the administration of the company is ready to take the airline to a much bigger fleet size. So that's where the growth will come from. Plus, uh, there's also people leaving us, so we have to replace them. And that's where the numbers come from, that we will take the airline from today and over the next five years employ up one, up to 1,000 people. That's replacement and, and the new people to be added for the crew, mainly for the crews because we have so much aircraft coming in. And as far as just the final word about sort of the situation that you inherited, has that all been cleared up now? Is there any outstanding litigation or are you still trying to claw back money that was uh, lost in the past? 
the the difficult parts have all been cleared from the past. There's still some stuff uh, uh, which goes back to the past, which will be cleared in the next years. Either it's long-term loans or it's it's litigations, which are in a process to be cleared. But from uh, if if you would look it in from outside, a third party would say the past is 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 behind us, and uh, we only dealing with things which happened already in the time while I'm here. Okay, well, that sounds like a perfect uh, point at which to draw a line in the uh, podcast. And we'll be back in a couple of minutes talking about the future with Martin Gauss of Air Baltic um, after this brief message. Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Okay, well, welcome back to the Minutes from Latvia podcast. Brought to you by Latvian Public Media. My name is Mike Collier, and joining me in the thankfully dry pod today is Martin Gauss, who's the chief executive of Air Baltic, uh, Latvia's uh, majority state-owned airline. Um, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a month ago, you had the 2016 results uh, coming out. I gather you were a little bit annoyed with some of the way that it was uh, reported or not reported. So I thought I'd just give you a chance to uh, put your side of the case here in that people were going for kind of the earnings, uh, well, the, the sort of net profit rather than the earnings and the turnaround, uh, the earnings before tax, which was actually a much more impressive uh, result. <laughs> Yeah, so it was. Yeah, it was a, indeed. Uh, we pre prepared a press conference showing the best results ever of the company in its history, and uh, the outcome, uh, local outcome, was that we uh, made a bigger, uh, that our loss was reduced. So that was the headline, which is fair because the net result of the company was was smaller as uh, the previous year. We had a big one-off effect, but the the business is measured. Uh, of course, with all numbers and the operational result of the company was positive and that improved by, I think, 13 million against the four, year before. And that was the big achievement. Mm. Uh, internationally, actually, it went the extreme opposite. There we, we got lots of um, praise for the result and the turnaround. So it went very well globally. Just locally, uh, it was not really understood. Um, now I think it is understood. The year was uh, ended with a profit, uh, higher passenger number. And the start of the current year, which actually we closed the first quarter, is a very, very big success because we placed a lot of capacity into the system, into the market, uh, lots of seats. And we are selling these seats uh, at uh, lower prices than the year before, but overall we are making better money than the year before. So actually that good year last year shows off now also because we have a very good start into this year. And you know, you, you mentioned about selling selling the seats. Could you just tell us sort of what is the positioning of Air Baltic in the market? Because it seems to when I talk to people, they seem to have di very different ideas about what the airline is. Some of them regard it as a sort of low cost. Some of them regard it as mid market. Some of them regard it as you know business class. Um, it's, we, it's a bit tempting to say it's a bit of all three, but I, I, I guess you must have some sort of slightly different model to what people uh, are accustomed to. It, it is actually two airlines in one. We are in the front, in the business section of the aircraft, uh, comparable to any business class in Europe with all the product features uh, and all this exclusivity, the fast track, the lounge, the hot meals, the dedicated cabin crew, all of that is there, the, the spacious seats, uh, because the seat next to you is free. And then we have in the economy cabin the extreme opposite, what ultra-low-cost carriers offer. You can buy very cheap a ticket and then just add all the elements, like the seat, like additional bags. Uh, you can say, I want to check in online, I want to check in at the desk, I want to go for the fast track. And all of these things you add to your ticket price. So we offer 
and that's the majority of the customers, very cheap price, which we would call a low-cost airline. But then for the uh, people who prefer to fly in business class, uh, we have a full business class. And we combine both in one aircraft and we, we call ourselves a hybrid low-cost carrier. The cost base, so because of the majority of being uh, uh, um, transported in economy class, uh, so is, is a low-cost airline's cost base. So everything we do, we do like a low-cost airline, but of course when it comes to the transportation of a business class passenger, we will we have to do a few things different, which we do. And overall it, it makes a lot of sense for us, uh, probably because we have a unique position. We operate into a hub, but we also operate up to 70 destinations out of Riga, Tallinn and Vilnius. So if we would be in the center of Europe, it would be probably more difficult to have such model uh, as successful as we do it here in, in, in a more isolated area in the north of Europe. But when you have the idea of you know, a basic price and then you add on the little bits and pieces you may or may not want afterwards, it, at some point, doesn't it all become just too complicated? And Because and some people say that to me that, well, you know, I've got halfway through the booking process or then the price changed. And actually, a couple of them, I must say, have mentioned that while they were halfway through the booking process, the price actually went down or they got a notification saying that it was now available cheaper. But uh, it can be a bit off-putting if it's that complex. Um, we, we get we get that feedback as well. But overall, of course, the ticket prices in the last 10 years, no, 15 years in Europe have come down year on year on year and they will continue to come down. The market leaders show that because their ticket prices are, uh, are uh, in general, even a little bit cheaper, especially in the beginning. Um, this adding different elements is actually a benefit for the passengers because somebody who doesn't want to add anything can fly for a very cheap price, 19 euros 90, uh, through the whole of Europe. But then a lot of people have individual needs and therefore, uh, like, like if you go and uh, uh, buy yourself a a normal journey you might not want to have the the room with a sea view you you're okay to look into the garden yeah so your room is cheaper you might want to take breakfast only and not uh, half pension so all all of this uh, uh, all of these elements you have today in the low cost uh, world of airlines and all the traditional carriers the big ones they're now doing exactly the same mm. thing it just uh, takes a while and our our uh, passengers are adjusting to it i understand that sometimes because all airlines do it differently and if you're not used to it, uh, it's it's sometimes new. But actually, most of the people say that our booking process is pretty simple and we work on making it even simpler. Uh, ideally, one day you have it like with Amazon, you have a one-click buy. But unfortunately, there are some restrictions why we cannot have that. But we're definitely working technology-wise on something which is a much faster booking process. Yeah, I must admit, I do uh, order too many books thanks to the one-click buy on Amazon. <laughs> I've had a couple of drinks and suddenly it seems like buying the complete works of... You know, Dennis Diderot seems like a good idea. <laughs> Not always the case. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, expansion into Estonia and Lithuania, or rather you're operating a lot more flights there now. I mean, Air Baltic's been going since 1995, and during that period, other airlines have come and gone in both Estonia and Lithuania. Uh, it seemed for a long time that there was a sort of... Uh, possibility of Air Baltic becoming a real pan-Baltic airline. Is that what the ultimate aim is? That's the aim. We are number one in the Baltics. If you look at the overall market share we have, we couldn't in the restructuring phase focus on all three airports. That was, first of all, not possible because we did not have the aircraft and we did not have the, the money to invest. Now we have it. And independent of the local airlines who were operating or still operating in these markets, because of the Riga hub being so strong, uh, we, we can also 
offer direct flights from the other two capitals. And looking at the infrastructure of, of the Baltic countries, we have this great project Rail Baltica coming in the next years, which is the most important thing for the infrastructure between these capitals. But while we don't have that, the airplane is the fastest and, and most comfortable way of uh, commuting between the capitals. So we now offer the commuting between all three capitals uh, in a high frequencies. And in addition to that, we offer from all capitals the same cities more and more. So we're adding from Tallinn the same cities as we have from Riga and we're doing the same cities from Vilnius. So there's an overall concept behind it. As a good example is Amsterdam. If you're in Amsterdam, you can fly to all three Baltic cities direct, but you can also fly via any of the other cities and then end up in the city where you wanted to go. That wasn't possible a couple of years ago. If, if you were there in the afternoon, you were just stuck. And now you have that infrastructure where well, that's actually what we build on. And that is very different to a competitor who is just offering a point-to-point -point service from one city because that is not to be compared with the network which we offer mm. and a, a lot of our income is also generated because then people use that kind of network um, rail baltica coming in the future will uh, maybe even improve it because we will have a, a, a station in riga airport and i think by that time when when that train arrives here we will get even passenger feet for a lot of the flights so we, we see this very positive but it still takes a couple of years and before that i think the airplane is the most convenient way to to commute between these uh, business uh, capitals well and uh, last year i mean you added 10 percent more passengers than uh, 2015 was that uh, passenger growth coming from estonia and lithuania or was it uh, it, it was coming from all uh, all three uh, baltic states so we're adding capacity in all states we, we're currently adding capacity-wise uh, up to 30 and more percent in Tallinn and in Vilnius because there we just start but we're also adding the biggest capacity uh, addition is of course always in Riga and it will stay like this but as we can and the competition allows because uh, we'll not do something where we end up making losses again we will expand in the two neighboring uh, capitals as well as in Riga but of course because of the size of Riga Riga will always the, the, if you add capacity there will always be more capacity added in Riga and we uh, couldn't uh, do the whole podcast without mentioning the uh, Bombardier CS 300s which Air Baltic's the first uh, airline to operate You've got three of them in service now, is it? Three today. And how is that going? Because, you know, when you were the first to commit to taking this brand new plane and sometimes to be expected that there are teething troubles and so on, have you got any technical issues uh, cropped up yet? In 2012, we took the decision to take an airplane which wasn't even uh, rolling out of a hangar. Uh, it wasn't even flying at the time, but it was the most economic aircraft to be available in 2016. Uh, 2016 came and the aircraft is the most economical uh, aircraft there, so it was the right decision. That is an important one, otherwise I wouldn't do the podcast today, I well, guess. I guess it was a pretty big <laughs> roll of the dice as far as you were concerned. Yeah, it was a, no, it was a decision based on facts uh, at the time uh, and evaluating which one would be the best. Now we are the first opportunity of that aircraft in the world and we are very happy with it and we accept for one year that was always the plan that a brand new aircraft will have issues which just make us look at it differently than an aircraft which already flies for 10 years that has nothing to do with safety that's just that we need to learn all the details of the aircraft and that for that we take ourselves more time and this more time means we have more aircraft available in the first year 
to if we decide not to take uh, the C series on a flight because we want to see something, then uh, we can take one of the Boeings, and and that's how we planned it. Um, we are very happy. Passengers are very happy with the aircraft, and uh, wh whoever has been on it wants to be on it again and mm -hmm. uh, passengers already say when they go in the, into a Boeing and they say oh unfortunately it's not a, uh, not a C-series today. So the big success is there with the passengers and uh, over the years we will see and we see already now the, the commercial success because the aircraft is much more economic than the previous one. Uh, on a slightly different topic we recently had the news that the 20% stake in Air Baltic, which was previously owned by Ralph Dieter Montag-Giermes, a German investor, has been taken over by a Danish investor, um, Mr. Toysen. How did you hear about that? I mean, w was this something which was being planned or was it presented to you as a sort of fait accompli? Uh, I... I met Mr. Tussen once so far, uh, but I will meet him again because uh, uh, he's now also coming regular. And uh, it's something the sh uh, happening on the shareholder side. So RDMG, uh, or we call him RDMG, Ralf Dieter Montagirm has uh, decided to uh, sell his shares. And but he informed you about that? Yeah, yeah. He, he informed us and it, it was not uh, not a secret and he informed us about it. The transaction happened and now Lars Tussen is uh, um, holding the shares of aircraft leasing one uh, nothing else has changed for us it's on the shareholder side it's the same if you have a stock listed company and if if people sell their shares it's nothing uh, which uh, happens uh, and nothing happens to the uh, operation of the airline and uh, we will get to know uh, Mr. Tussen for sure and uh, he has an aviation background similar to Ralf Dieter Montagirmes so we're looking forward to see what uh, what he will bring because um, we got a lot of good and positive input from uh, Ralf Dieter uh, in the but last years. were you surprised years. that he sold up after just a year? Because uh, No, there was not a surprise because the, it, it, ob obviously when you are uh, having a good relation uh, you, you discuss things and of course we will not make these things public but we are informed at the right time and did not come as a surprise so it was a constructive process happening. Okay, and the uh, other thing which is in the public domain was reported a couple of weeks ago was your salary, um, which is just over a million euros last year. Uh, how do you justify that? I mean, it's a lot of money. Do you justify it just by pointing to the business plan and seeing how the turnaround has gone? I think it's very difficult to justify it, especially in Latvia, because it, it is the, it's, it's so high that uh, um, it annoys people. And I, I see this, and I see this with the media reaction. Um, I have to say that I don't decide on my salary. It's, it's, it's put together from several elements which are defined before I work. So it's each year the same thing. Um, is it fair? Maybe it's not fair that I earn this money. Uh, I earn it is the contract which uh, people close with me and they close it each year again because they want me to deliver that work. And uh, I run an international airline. Um, it, it had to be sold once. So that's reflected there. Uh, it, it had to order new aircraft. It had to restructure and it had to take uh, a lot of decisions with changing governments, difficult decisions. And I think all of this is reflected. And then looking at it, uh, it's always forgotten. People always say I earn a million, but at the same time I pay more than 300,000 in taxes as well out of this, which stay here in the country. Um, still, I do accept that this salary is exceptional high and it causes uh, disturbance. And uh, I, I, all I can say is that uh, each year it's uh, reviewed and uh, for one year in advance I get new targets and these targets need to be achieved. And only if they are achieved, I can make such high salary. 
Great. Well, thank you for a very uh, full answer. I mean, in, in wider context, uh, how do you interact with the wider Latvian business community? I mean, do you ever sort of get any envy that you're in this position? Because there would always be some people who say, you know, there should be a Latvian in charge of this company. Um, I'm, I'm, and everybody knows that here, that my contract doesn't foresee any clauses that if uh, they don't want me to do the job that they cannot get somebody else to do it. So yeah. I, I, I'm very transparent on that. If somebody wants to do that job and, and uh, the, especially the shareholder says somebody else should do the job, then there are provisions and uh, I'm not doing it anymore. But so far we had the opposite that the shareholders were very happy with the performance. Uh, the changes which were achieved while I run the company is more than 150 million difference. So it's it's quite significant, and and the biggest one is that when I came, nobody gave a penny for this airline. This airline is now a very profitable airline in Europe, envied by a lot of airlines around us who have not made that turnaround. And I think that was uh, that is reflected in in my remuneration package. I'm sure that there are many capable people out there who can do that job even better. Uh, and if the shareholders decide uh, to find a, a a different person, then there will be. A different person running the airline if that person then uh, does it for a different salary that's a decision uh, they have this person has to take uh, um, I, I think I'm paid uh, according to international standards um, I do respect that uh, here it's seen as too high or as uh, not good but I, I can't change it I won't apologize for my good work and as far as the next couple of years are concerned um, is it just a case of building up the profitability um, or maybe finding another investor who's going to take over the Latvian government stake and you know take it to the next level that way? The key now is to grow and introduce the new fleet. And uh, second focus is on finding the strategic investor, uh, which is going on. So these two big things, grow the airline, uh, take it from a revenue size of 260 million to 450 million in a pretty short time. So half a billion company very soon. Uh, so much, much bigger. Uh, and again, in, in, a, in a Latvian context, that will be one of the biggest companies then in Latvia. And uh, finding the right strategic investor is also one of the tasks so there there are challenging things ahead we're on a good track and i hope that uh, i succeed with all the th all the targets i've been given um, and then i think everybody will be happy apart from the two weeks every year when this publication is out there and uh, i will i will also then stand there and and uh, say something to it but Hope, hopefully it's over after the two weeks. Yeah, the other 50 weeks is, is you can fly anywhere you want. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for joining me uh, for the podcast today, Martin. And good luck for the future with Air Baltic. And we'll be back with another podcast in a couple more weeks. Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Produced by Renard Steymans for Latvian Public Media. Find out more at www.lsm.lv.